Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. So I posted a joke on Instagram earlier this week and lost about three followers because of it. And mind you, it was a funny joke. So I posted a poster for the movie Magic Mike The Last Dance, or it might just be called Magic Mike's Last Dance, but I just said, had to turn it off after 90 minutes, Michael Jordan never showed up in the movie, they didn't even mention the Chicago Bulls. Now, the reason I made this joke is because there is a Netflix docu-series called Michael Jordan's The Last Dance. And it's all about Michael Jordan. And everyone watched it a few years ago, and I did not watch it. But everyone raved about how good it was. People clip memes from it and things like that. So it had a very big impact on sports fans, at least. Even non-sports fans that I knew watched this out of respect for Michael Jordan. But I never saw it. Then I thought, huh. Because I came across this movie the other day, it was when I was kind of cross-referencing movies because sometimes I'll look at a director and look at what other movies they worked on and that sends me down this deep rabbit hole where it's, oh, they worked with this actor. What was this actor in? Oh, this actor was also in this. Oh, when did this come out? This came out in this month. And somehow, someway, I came across the poster to Magic Mike's Last Dance. And so I thought of that joke where I said, okay, I'm going to post this. And I had a few people that reacted and thought it was funny, but I lost three followers. And I'm not kidding you, I lost three because I don't really care about that. I'm not one of those weirdos that has an app that tells me who unfollows me. But I did see my follower count drop from 643 to 640. And the only time I observe my follower count is after I post a new post on my timeline or if I put kind of a not controversial joke, but something like that, basically, where it's so dumb that somebody might take it seriously. And yeah, sure enough, there were a couple people I think that took it seriously because otherwise I can't imagine unfollowing over something like that. It's a perfectly harmless joke of me confusing the two, but whatever. I did not hop on the microphone today to talk about Magic Mike or Michael Jordan's The Last Dance. I'm actually talking about the new movie, Disney's The Little Mermaid, that just hit theaters this past weekend. And yes, I did see it. Begrudgingly, but I did see it. I mentioned not too long ago that right now I'm kind of just seeing every single movie so that I have stuff to talk about every week on the pod because most people are saving all the best movies for June, July. In this case, this was a big movie. It's just not really a movie for me. I don't care for live action remakes of Disney movies that I didn't even care for as a kid. Quite honestly, as far as the Disney animated movies go, the Disney princess movies at least, I don't really think I cared for any of them as a kid other than Mulan. That's partially because Mulan is just stacked with bangers, man. Just so many good songs in that movie. And you know, it's the idea of her being a warrior and there being a big battle was a lot more interesting as a kid. All the other ones, they're just princess movies. They're not really for a young boy to watch, at least for me. For my interest as a child, those movies were not for me. And for that reason, I don't really remember much about the original Little Mermaid movie. I have surely seen it, 
but I imagine the last time I watched it was maybe when I was four or five years old. So I remember tidbits of it. I mostly just remember the controversy around it because there are all those conspiracy videos of how Disney's perverted and they're trying to corrupt our kids with subliminal messaging. And they would point out a bunch of random stuff in movies. Like they're like, look, there are these little penises on the cover of the movie. And I thought, yeah, I don't know, man. You seem to have a lot on your mind and maybe it's just spilling over into some stuff you're looking at in movies now. But then there's another thing where they say, oh, the guy who is the priest or whatever marrying Ariel and Eric at the end of the movie, he's got a massive boner. And that actually was true. Yeah, he does have a boner. And I don't know why. I think sometimes maybe these animators think this will be funny. No one's going to notice. And they slip it in and maybe just aren't disbelief it makes into the final product. I'd like to think, honestly, that they just did it as a joke so that when people saw it, they'd say, what the hell is up with this? But they've animated the proper frame for the movie. But maybe when it was screened to the studio, they didn't even notice, so it just stayed in the cut. Regardless, it's no longer in The Little Mermaid. They, When they put out Blu-rays for the movie or whatever, because you know how George Lucas did that thing where he remastered his movies a million times? They've done the same with some of the old Disney movies. And yeah, the boner is no longer there to my understanding in the newest version of the Little Mermaid animated film. But what I'm getting at is that this was not really a huge part of my childhood. Yes, I saw the movie and I remember tidbits of it, but I don't really remember enough about it. And I don't care enough about it for me to go out and see a live action remake. On top of that, I got this guy at my local AMC who always works during the day. So if I see a matinee showtime, which I did for this movie, because I was going to be busy in the evening, so I said, all right, I'm going to go to the earliest possible showing. And sure enough, this was the guy scanning my ticket. And he has given me so much crap throughout the years. Anytime I go in to see a movie, he always guesses what movie that I'm seeing. And what's also weird is he randomly forgets who I am every single time I walk in. Like, dude, I show up here at least once a week, at least some weeks up to three times, and you are at least seeing me one of those times. I've been going to this theater for years now. This one time, he has scanned me into a million R-rated films, but it was sometime a few months ago where I walked up to him, showed him the ticket, and I had my ID, and he just goes, how old are you? Are you serious? One, it's right here on the ID, and two, you've scanned me into so many of these movies, but he was looking at me like I was a liar. And the thing is, I don't look young anymore. I'm a grown-ass man, okay? So I thought, dude, are you serious? I show up here every single week. He looked at me like he had never seen me before in his entire life. But anyway, usually I walk up and he'll be like, let me guess, you're seeing this movie? And half the time he's wrong. Half the time he's right because he'll guess just the newest, biggest movie. But he had like this mom and her little girls in line in front of me. And he goes, let me guess, Little Mermaid. And sure enough, it was a Little Mermaid. Then there are these two girls in front of me that walked up. And he goes, the Little Mermaid. And yeah, sure enough, it was the Little Mermaid. And I walk up and he goes, Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was almost embarrassed to show him my ticket because I thought, oh my gosh. I'm looking around this theater at the concessions and people walking in and out. And it's mostly parents with their little girls or just younger teenage girls. I thought, oh my gosh, I am seeing this live action Disney princess movie during the day 
by myself, I'm going to look like the biggest creep weirdo on the planet. And so I said, no, it's the little mermaid. And he gave me this look and I immediately said, it's for work, man. And he goes, oh, I see. And then scans it. And then I kept going, which I don't make enough money off of this podcast to justify saying it's for work. But you should have seen the way he looked at me, man. I had to find a way out of this situation because, yeah, he looked like he was about to call the cops on me. Like, dude, I don't want to see it either, okay? I'm just doing this because I have too much love for my audience who I know at least a few of them are curious about this film, so I'm seeing it to talk about it. And that is something that you guys should know right away. I try to give you as much context as possible of what mindset I'm in going into these movies. So if it ever seems like I'm really hard on a movie or if it seems like I'm just going to love a movie no matter what, I feel like the context helps. In this case, I didn't want to see this movie. I was kind of uncomfortable going to see it by myself. And I don't really have a personal attachment to the original. And even if I did, live action remakes are just not that interesting to me. I actually, matter of fact, have not even seen a majority of the live-action Disney remakes. This is maybe the second one that I've seen that I can think of off the top of my head. But anyway, I sat down, the trailers went through, and finally the movie starts. And immediately I said, huh, the visuals are not quite up to par with recent underwater movies that I've watched. And in fairness... When I say recent underwater movies I've watched, the last one I watched was Avatar The Way of Water. So it's kind of unfair to compare the two. But if I were to even go a few years back from that, I'd have Aquaman, which came out during the Christmas season of 2018. And again, that one also looked much better, more vivid and colorful than this movie. I mean, Aquaman, the only fake part about the visuals underwater was just maybe it was too bright, there was too much color, it was a little too vivid. But in this case, I think that some scenes there's good color and it looks okay underwater, but a lot of scenes it's just dark and creepy looking almost. And I saw this in Dolby Cinema, which Dolby has the best sound and it has the best picture, the best color, everything. So if the color doesn't look great in a Dolby theater, it's because the color is not great. And so in the first few minutes, I went, oh boy, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this. And then you're introduced to some of the characters and you've got Javier Bardem who plays Ariel's father, King Triton. And Javier Bardem is a great actor, but I got to say the makeup and costumes for this movie were not great across the board. They're largely good, but I think the Mer people, it was a little bit questionable. Some people, it looked like they were wearing Halloween costumes to be honest. And Javier Bardem was definitely one of those to me. Maybe it's just because I'm so used to seeing him not look like this, that seeing him with the whitish gray hair and the beard and all that just looked a bit funny. But yeah, some of these costumes for the Mer people kind of looked like Party City outfits, which is not a great thing. But then you get to the surface world and... The set design is fantastic. The costumes are great. The picture is just really sharp. It looks great. And the underwater stuff, about half of it looks good and half of it doesn't. And the good thing, I guess, is that a big part of this movie is her breaking free from living underwater where she is miserable and going out into the real world that she's so curious about, that she's so intrigued by, and finding life and happiness there. 
And so I think that whether it was intentional or not to make the underwater stuff less visually interesting, I think they probably meant to make it look a little better than it did. But in some ways, it does work. As far as stuff underwater looking kind of ugly, though, at times, I thought the character designs were very odd. Like Sebastian the Crab, they made just look like a crab, but put a face on him. And then Flounder straight up just looks like a regular Flounder. I said, you know, that makes this a lot less interesting than the animated movie. The only reason you would make an animated movie into a live action movie is because you feel that there's something more that you can do with this in live action than what was done in animation. I mean, that should be the reason. Disney's real reason is because they love the smell of money, which who doesn't? But their live action remakes are largely soulless cash grabs that do make a lot of money. But I just thought, what's the point in making these fish photorealistic if so much of this movie is going to look fake and cartoony outside of this? Like, why make Flounder look like an actual Flounder when some other things don't really look photorealistic in this film? That was something that kind of threw me off. I said, you know, you might as well go like the Sonic the Hedgehog route where Sonic in that movie more or less looks photorealistic, but he kind of just looks like a really well-animated character inserted into the real world. And they make sure the lighting is good and all that, but he does not look like a natural thing that you would see. Even like Detective Pikachu did a good job of that. And a lot of the Pokemon in that movie are the same, where they made them match the scene with the lighting and stuff like that, but the actual designs of the things are very cartoony still. And I think that's okay, and I think you could have done that here, and nobody would have had a problem. No kid is going to watch and say, that doesn't look like a flounder. That doesn't look like a crab. Because if anything, it was just funny to see them talk and dance and stuff at times, because I thought, this flounder, it can barely even open its mouth. Its fins are so tiny. At one point, she grabs flounder and shakes him in excitement, and it looked like she was going to rip his fins off, because he's such a small fish. I thought if you made him look all big and cartoony, but just had the lighting right so that it would at least look good in the scene so that it would match the scene, I think that would have been a lot more visually interesting. And I don't know. I don't know why they did what they did. So I had a few nitpicks right away, and those were some of the nitpicks. Like one of the opening songs in the movie is Under the Sea. And the song itself is okay, but to my recollection, the original Little Mermaid had a much more interesting scene. In this one, it's just fish swimming around that kind of look real, kind of don't. At times, this movie underwater almost looks like you're watching National Geographic, which isn't a terrible thing, but I also don't think it's the most visually interesting because, you know, it's a movie. You want to engage with the audience in some way. And it is a visual medium, so I think there's just more they could have done underwater to make it a little more interesting. And I cite recent movies like Avatar The Way of Water and Aquaman. Aquaman went a little more bombastic with its visuals underwater, but I think it worked and it made it feel like it was this totally different, unique world. And Avatar went more of a photorealistic route as to how stuff was going to look but they still had really unique designs for things and it looked like they were on a planet that was not Earth. And so that was also really solid. I think the blueprint was there for them to do something unique with the underwater stuff and they didn't. 
But on the contrary, the land did look really good. So I will give props for that. And it was something that I immediately noticed watching this actually was the visual style when they were not underwater. And I didn't know this until a few days before I saw the movie, but I had looked it up and saw that it was directed by Rob Marshall, who I have not seen most of his films, but I know that he did the movie Into the Woods with Chris Pine, Anna Kendrick, Meryl Streep, James Corden, a bunch of other people. I think it came out somewhere around 2013, 2014. And yeah, I didn't watch that movie. It was not completely interesting to me, although I liked the visual look of it based on the trailers. And this movie does have a very similar look to that, especially with the costumes and the lighting when they're on land. So that there is something that really worked or at least balanced out the visuals because yes, I was underwhelmed by how things looked underwater. Didn't love the costumes and the makeup, the wigs, all that of the mer people. Didn't love the designs of some of the fish. I didn't really think it was well lit underwater, but on the surface, I think just about everything looked really good. Now, let me get to the most important part of the movie, and that is Ariel, the mermaid, the main character, played by Halle Bailey. So I'll be straight up. I did not even know who Halle Bailey was a few years ago. And then I saw people sharing pictures of Hallie and Chloe Bailey all the time, usually because I have friends that are pretty attracted to them and they would always reply or retweet when they would post pictures. And so that was how I was introduced to them. And then I saw that Hallie was cast as Ariel the Mermaid for this movie. And there was this weird uproar online. And I say weird, and that's probably not the exact word for it. But yes, there was this uproar online. Because, well, Ariel is supposed to look like this. She's not supposed to. So I saw people, too, that were going way deep into mermaid lore as to how mermaids are supposed to look on the big screen and how it's disrespectful, basically, if the mermaid is not white, is what people were implying. And I remember putting a post out on Facebook saying, I see way too many dudes, which was true. It was mostly guys that I saw getting angry. I said, I see way too many dudes that are getting upset over the casting of a Disney princess. And I had some people argue back with me over that. But the thing is, yeah, it's a silly thing to be upset about. And the fact is, I watched this movie not really knowing whether or not Halle Bailey really had it. I didn't know much about her other than how she looked. And my gosh, she is incredibly talented. There was a scene in this movie, because I mentioned I wasn't really gripped right away by the movie, but it was five, maybe 10 minutes in, she has her first musical number, and the song is Part of Your World, and I was actually blown away. And it helps that I was singing in a Dolby theater, where the sound is as good as it can possibly be. But I'm watching this scene, and I'm hearing her voice, and I'm thinking, wow, she has a really good voice. And then there's a note that she hits in the last 30 seconds of the song where I went, oh my gosh, that is an incredible voice. She is a pure vocalist, and I had no idea. At that point, I said, okay, I only need to see so much more in this movie to know that they cast the best person for this role because she can sing. She's got pipes, man. And so at that point, I said, I just need to see that her and Eric have chemistry. And that's partially on her, partially on him. And if that lands, then 
I don't think they could have cast somebody better. And I think the fact that the director was Rob Marshall was another thing that assured me a few days before where I said, okay, Rob Marshall has shot musicals before, well-received ones at that. Into the Woods was a well-received movie. So I thought, this guy actually knows exactly what he's doing. And so on the Halle Bailey side, the music part alone, I was won over. I said, oh my gosh, they nailed this casting. Nailed it. She was really likable at first too. So that was another thing is that she plays the role well of a hopeful but kind of naive girl because yes, she wants to believe that people on the surface world are good, that humans are not so bad. She's in love with a guy that she spied on for the space of 30 seconds and then rescued a few minutes later that she's never actually had a conversation with. But yeah, I think that she plays that part really well. And her dad's really upset about it, and rightfully so. She's in love with some random human who she's never actually had a conversation with, never formally met. That's kind of a problem. But she does such a good job where you feel bad for her, and you say, oh, come on, you're being too hard on her, dad. But anyway, I think some of you know how the story goes. She ends up making this deal with Ursula who is played by Melissa McCarthy in this movie, and largely Melissa McCarthy does a good job. I am not a fan of hers overall, to be completely honest. I've seen her in some movies be pretty funny, and then other things, she just wears me out. And in this movie in particular, I think she plays Ursula how Ursula is meant to be played. So respect to her for doing that, because I do think that she has talent. Her humor is not always for me, but I do think she's a talented actor nonetheless. And she does a solid job in this movie. But basically, Ariel makes a deal with Ursula, where Ariel will be able to go on land as a human, have legs and things like that. And the cost is her voice. Ursula gets her voice. And then she has like three days to kiss the prince before the spell turns back. And yeah, more or less, that's just how it goes. At least in this movie. I don't know if that's exactly how it goes in the animated movie, but I'm pretty sure it plays out the exact same. She then washes up on the surface and meets the human world and eventually meets Prince Eric, who is played by a pretty new actor, a guy I had never seen in anything named Jonah Howard King, who a lot of people were hating on this casting when it first went down. I remember there were a lot of names being thrown around to play Prince Eric They had said that for a very long time, Disney was trying to get Harry Styles for the part, but he was rejecting it. But then there were also rumors that, no, they had no interest in Harry Styles. But yeah, there were names being thrown around. And so when they settled on a guy that nobody knew, a lot of people immediately said, oh, well, this guy sucks. He doesn't even look like Prince Eric. And yes, he doesn't look like a cartoon character, but I do think he plays the role of Prince Eric really well. I think his character is decently fleshed out where he's a likable guy and him and Halle Bailey together are really good. They've got really good chemistry. Their scenes together are really enjoyable to watch. And this is me as somebody who doesn't really care for this type of movie. I found it largely enjoyable when they were on screen together. He's also got his own song at one point in the movie called Uncharted Waters or something like that, which I don't believe he sings at all in the original movie, but he does have a song in this one because I know they came up with a couple original songs just for this movie, and I think his was one of those, and he's got a good voice. He does a good job. 
But that was the most important thing to me about the movie. The thing that really holds it together was the casting of Ariel. And yes, they nailed it. Halle Bailey has a beautiful voice. She plays the role of Ariel so well when she's on the surface and she's unable to talk because Ursula has her voice. She's still able to communicate with her facial expressions and things like that. And it really is all physical acting at that point. And she does a really good job of that. And they're able to develop chemistry and communicate her and Prince Eric without her talking to him. And I think that works really well. They do a really good job with that. And that's kind of the sticking point of the movie is they nail the casting for Ariel. They nail the casting for Prince Eric. Ariel and Eric have good chemistry together in the movie. And Ursula does a good job. Melissa McCarthy as Ursula is good in this film. And Javier Bardem as King Trident is also good. His look throws me off a little bit, but I think he's still good in the film. As far as other characters go, Sebastian the Crab, first off, total snitch right off the bat. But he kind of won me over by the end of the movie. I said, okay, you know what? Sebastian is okay. And Sebastian was voiced by David Diggs. I don't know if he says it David or David is D-A-V-E-E-D, so I assume it's not just pronounced David, which I've seen him in a couple projects. One of them was the movie Wonder, which had Jacob Tremblay in it, who is actually Flounder in this movie. And I thought both of them were good. Flounder's kind of useless. I don't even know what purpose Flounder serves in this film. Kind of just swims around and is like, oh no, what's going to happen, Ariel? Like, dude, do you do anything useful? And then Scuttle is voiced by Aquafina. And I'll tell you what, guys, I've mentioned before that I don't hate Aquafina as much as most people do. A lot of people find Aquafina just obnoxious and unfunny. And I sometimes find her funny. And some things I've seen, I sometimes find her funny. So I'm not a total hater. But they do give her a musical number at one point in this movie. And the little kid in front of me covered his ears. And I almost did the same. Because it starts off with her trying to sing. And yeah, she cannot sing. It is awful. It is so bad. And then it turns into her rapping, which sounds a bit better. It does sound better when she's rapping. And I think actually that would count as one of the original songs in this movie. Oh my gosh. But yeah, that was the scene where the kid in front of me was covering his ears because yeah, it sounded bad, dude. It sounded really bad. And we're in a Dolby theater where the volume is really loud and she's got kind of this screechy singing voice. So it did not sound good coming through those speakers. I'll just say that much. And I will say, by the way, before it seems like I'm dumping on Aquafina altogether, there were a couple lines from Scuttle that were kind of funny. Largely, the humor in this movie is not really for me. There's not a lot of comedy necessarily, but the comedy that's there is more so for the kids. But there were at least a couple lines from Scuttle, Aquafina's character, that I said, that's kind of funny. I may not have audibly laughed, but that's kind of funny. So that's the thing. This movie was a lot better than I expected. I mentioned that I had no interest in seeing this movie. Going into it, I thought, no, another live action Disney remake. I was trying to find anything else to watch. There were actually a few other movies that I could have seen, but I said, yeah, but nobody's curious about those movies. These live action remakes are big movies, and there are at least going to be a few people that listen to this pod that are curious about it. Or maybe they were burned out on the other live action remakes, but this one, 
I think sticks out a little bit. And it sticks out because it's a guy that actually does musicals that directed the movie. And they got an actual singer, an actual vocalist as Ariel in this movie. And I saw somebody on Twitter saying, wow, thank goodness they actually got somebody that could sing for this movie. And a lot of the comments were saying stuff like, oh, that makes me excited to see it because so many of these Disney live action remakes have been starring people that are popular but can't sing. And I honestly haven't seen a lot of these, but I saw somebody throwing shade towards Beauty and the Beast as being one of those films that just had big names in it, but nobody that could sing. And yeah, haven't seen it, so I don't know for sure. But that was one of the movies I saw people throwing shade at. And largely, even though I haven't seen a lot of these movies, they do have pretty big name actors in them. So I think a lot of times they do just go for the big names. And in this case, for this movie, they absolutely did not just go for the big names. They got Halle Bailey, who is pretty new. Some people know her. I really didn't. And I think a lot of people didn't know who Halle Bailey was. And then Jonah Howard King, who's Prince Eric. Nobody knew that guy. Nobody. And he does a really solid job. So they got a lot of newer people to star this movie. Yeah, they've got some familiar faces like Melissa McCarthy and Javier Bardem. But the main people, the most important people, were pretty new to the general audience. And I think they were the best part of the movie. So this is a case where I think they honestly gave the best roles to the best actors that auditioned. I think they truly won those parts. I don't think anyone was handed the role because of this thing or that thing. I think they earned these parts based on watching this movie. So overall, yes, I have some nitpicks. Visually, it's not perfect. The third act especially, I think, turns into kind of a sludge fest of CGI. Their big fight with Ursula at sea. The lighting is not good and the visual effects are not great. So the underwater stuff was not good and the third act being a CGI mess or at least the last 10 minutes of the third act being that didn't entirely work for me. Some of the character designs I mentioned was not crazy over some of those. I think it made the movie a lot less visually interesting. So again, I guess I'm coming back to the visual look of it not being perfect all across the board. It's not entirely consistent. Also, at the end of the movie, usually I think Ariel is thwarting a wedding. In this case, it's an engagement party, which I think kind of lowers the stakes a little bit, even if it has the same implications, even if there's the same ticking clock thing where she has to kiss the prince in the first three days of making that spell or deal or whatever with Ursula. So there's still the ticking clock, but I just think the idea of crashing a wedding and wrecking it is a lot more epic than an engagement party. But that was a mild deviation, I suppose. There are a couple other things that I could say that are minor gripes, but I don't want to get too deep into spoilers. I feel like I've already given up a little too much about some things. I'll just say, overall, I have nitpicks. They weigh the movie down, for sure. But this was a movie I had no interest in seeing. I was kind of uncomfortable going to see it. And I walked out saying, that was actually pretty good. I enjoyed the lead performances from Jonah Howard King and Halle Bailey. I enjoyed the two of them together. I enjoyed their musical numbers. The movie maybe feels about 10 minutes too long, but otherwise I thought it was pretty solid outside of my nitpicks of the film. So 
I think if you are somebody that grew up on Disney movies or you grew up on The Little Mermaid or you love all these live action remakes or maybe you've loved some and not loved others, I think this one's okay. It's pretty good. This is me, somebody that does not care for these saying, I think it's pretty good. So if you were on the fence, I think there are much worse ways to spend your time than to give this movie a shot. It pains me to say it because I'm a huge Disney hater, but it's not bad. It's all right. It's pretty good. Anyway, though, that is all I've got for today. So I'm actually debating between two movies to talk about for my next episode. And I guess you guys will find out when the episode drops of what I decided. But then after that, I'll be seeing Across the Spider-Verse, which I am really excited for. And after that, it's pretty much just blockbuster movie after blockbuster movie every single week for the remainder of the summer. So a really exciting time. Definitely a good time to be following this podcast if you are not already. Or you can find me on Instagram under the username at vitamin C pod. Not only do I give updates on the podcast through that account, but I also share reels on a semi-weekly basis that will recommend new movies, talk about movies that I love, and maybe talk about upcoming movie announcements and news. So you will want to be following me there as well. That's all I've got for today. I appreciate you guys tuning in. You'll hear from me later this week.